Hello, lifers. This is Heather Drew, and this is the Life in the Whirlwind podcast. Today is episode 37, and this episode is called Contemplation is Boring. So I was recently talking to an acquaintance of mine, and she was asking me about what my podcast was about. She hadn't heard it before, and so I was talking about it a little bit, and I just talked about how much I enjoy making it and how it's such a life-giving process for me. And so we were talking about it, and she asked me what it was about. And I said, I kind of had to talk it out a little bit, the external processor that I am. And I ended up saying, basically, that it's a podcast about contemplative spirituality. And that led us down many rabbit trails, of course. I'm sure you're not surprised. But we talked about contemplation. We talked about spirituality. We talked about podcasts that we listen to. And it ended up being uh, about us talking about the importance of boredom. Because that was sort of this topic that we'd heard on several podcasts that we both listened to recently. And this topic sort of converged and it sort of you know, made itself, uh, available on all these different podcasts, quote unquote, coincidentally. I don't know. (laughs) It is a coincidence. I'm sure these people have not, you know, fabricated this convergence of topic, but it was just kind of interesting, just kind of surprising and interesting and, uh, intriguing. So we talked about that and, uh, it got me thinking about boredom. So what do I mean by boredom or boring? So how our culture defines boredom is that we don't have something to do. We have nothing to do, and it's usually stated as a problem. So in my house, my 10-year-old and my almost 8-year-old daughters, every once in a while they come up and they say, I'm bored. And it's usually only been about a minute since they've finished up what they were doing before. And there's 8 million options in front of them, but they still say I'm bored. So I kind of just store that away and we find something to do. But that's another story for another day. So, but the, this idea of boredom is that we don't have something to do and that it's a problem. I think this comes from a culture where we always have something else to do. We always have something more that we could be doing. And that brings me to this other word that I kind of want to throw out there today. Inefficiency. So inefficiency has a tone to it that we're not getting enough done. So I recently saw a greeting card. There's this card store that I really like. It's a paper store that I really like. And I was looking through their cards. I sometimes just go there when I have some free time to enjoy just being an introvert in a, in a paper store. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, if you know what I'm talking about. And I was looking at these cards and there was a card in there. It was like hilarious and very depressing all at the same time. It was great satire. Uh, it's the sun setting behind this hill And there's sort of, there's this man who's waving to the sun and the sun is saying, good night. 
oh, by the way, you didn't get enough done today. <laughs> I'm laughing, but it's so, it's actually quite sad. It's this, it's this image, like, isn't that what we do? You know, I heard, I've been listening to this book on tape, this audiobook by Brene Brown called The Power of Vulnerability. Great audiobook. Um, it's not really an audiobook. It's her giving a lecture, I think. But one of the things she quotes one of her friends and says, you know, we wake up in the morning and we've already, before we even get out of bed, we have told ourselves that we haven't gotten enough sleep. And by the time we go back to sleep, before our head even hits the pillow, we think, did I do enough today? And everything in between is a litany of scarcity, of not enoughness. So there's this problem that we have in our culture of inefficiency, like where sometimes we are labeled as inefficient people. We don't get enough done in a short period of time. And, uh, and then there's this boredom word on the other side where it's like we don't have enough to do in our free time uh, to entertain ourselves. So either way, on both ends, I would say it's flip side of the same coin is this problem of not enough. But the problem with these definitions is that our culture defines them and it's a system that defines them and we kind of just go along for the ride. But these things that we call boring or inefficient are exactly the kinds of things that have always made human beings more aware, more connected, and more substantive human beings, more full of substance, right? So here are some examples. Taking a walk. That might be seen as inefficient. You know, it's a nice idea, but you don't get there as fast. Why not just drive, right? Um, that's what our culture says. What about phone calls? So often we do not make phone calls. We text or we email or, you know, we do audio chats or on WhatsApp or whatever. I have a lot of friends in other countries, so they do audio texting, which is adorable and lovely. Um, but phone calls, it, when you're making a phone call, you actually have to pay undivided attention to some degree, to a different degree. You know, if you're texting or if you're, if you're doing emailing or something like that, it's just a little bit different. You don't have to give undivided attention. You can stop and do something different. You can, you know, it's like an instantaneous, you shoot this thing out and then you come back to it later. Phone calls, it requires your attention a little bit more. How about writing letters? When was the last time you wrote a letter? A handwritten letter with a pen and a piece of paper. I love writing letters only because I refuse to let this art form die. So if you're one of my friends, you probably have gotten a letter from me before. Uh, another example might be hand-making things. So yeah, we live in this really interesting do-it-yourself time where we look everything up, drumroll please, on YouTube or Pinterest or do-it-yourself blogs. 
And that's fine. That's great, actually. That's one of those places where technology serves us. I actually redid my entire kitchen plumbing thanks to YouTube. And I did it well, and it's still there holding water five years later. <laughs> it's great. So I am very grateful for these things. But hand-making things, a lot of times we'll often just buy things instead of making them. When back in the good old days, you know, the days of yore, <laughs> people made things by hand all the time. You don't just go to Target and buy something. You have to pay time and attention and hand make it. Uh, but these things are enchanted. Handmade things are enchanted. They are charming and lovely and human. What it means to be really human and connected and aware and full of substance. Um, here's a non-tangible thing. So, uh, some of my best teachers have taught me this. I actually was at a party yesterday and saw my favorite college professor that I haven't seen in a few years. And she and I were talking for a really long time at this party. And it reminded me that she's one of the many teachers of mine who have taught me that making mistakes is where I feel most aware, most connected. And that's where most of my learning, my deepest learning has happened is in my mistake making. Uh, here's another, here's another tangible example. So all these things, I'm just listing things that our culture would probably call inefficient or maybe even boring, <laughs> possibly. Here's another example. So the other day, uh, I meet with my spiritual director once a month and I met with her last week and I'm a very, very visual person in case you haven't picked that up yet. And I sort of have these visual, you know, pretty vivid visuals of when I'm meeting with her, what we're talking about and kind of the experience that I'm having. And I sort of imagine things visually. And so I left that time because I had a really interesting, lovely experience with her. She's so wonderful. Shout out to her. And I was, and I wanted to leave and go home and paint the thing that I had seen and this is here. I'm about to give you a sentence that's culturally common. Ready? I am not an artist, <laughs> right? Don't we always say that? Like, oh, I'm not an artist. I'm a terrible artist. Who says? Like, according to who? It's all relative, right? So let's just say I don't do it very often. I don't paint very often. I really like it most of the time. The thing that I don't like about it or the thing that makes me frustrated about it tends to be when I can't create what I'm imagining, what I'm trying to create, right? That's just a frustrating experience sometimes. So I knew that this was true about me. And I know that I'm not a very experienced painter. I don't do it very often. I don't practice it very often. But I wanted to do this so badly. It was important to me. So I went to the art store that's by my house. And I asked them for this certain kind of paper. And it ended up being $5 for you know, a poster board sized piece of this paper, but it's five bucks. Like that's, that's a chunk of change for a piece of paper. It was a really cool piece of paper. It's like really nice stuff. And I was being very specific. So I bought this piece of paper. I took it home. I cut it into a few different pieces, different shapes and size pieces, because I knew it was going to take me a while to create what I was trying to create. And it did. It took me over an hour and much, much paint wasted, quote unquote wasted later and much, much paper 
quote unquote wasted later, I finally got to this product that I was trying to get to. Like I, I finally created what I was trying to create, but it took a lot of practice and a lot of quote unquote waste, right? Our culture calls this inefficient. Uh, our culture calls this wasteful sometimes. Um, maybe even boring because, you know, I'm not perfect at this, quote unquote. I'm doing a lot of air quotes, but you can't see because it's a podcast. Uh, so, you know, there's all these things that our culture labels for us. But I'm here to challenge this because, okay, so here's the thing that I'm not saying. I am not saying that technology is evil. It is amazing. It is terrific because I have friends in other countries who without WhatsApp or iMessaging or cell phones or email, I would never have a relationship with them. There are people with whom I would not have a relationship and not stay connected to were it not for social media. I think that's kind of sad, but it's true, right? So I'm not saying tech is evil. I think it's incredible and it's important. However, how instantly and perpetually, quote unquote, connected we are via our technology can keep us or it can kind of confuse us from what actual connection is. So I would say that there's a realer connection that takes a little more time and energy and work and vulnerability for sure that does not require technology. Uh, we live in the age of, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day about online dating apps like OkCupid and uh, Tinder. You can be anybody on there for a time because it's not really vulnerable and it takes a lot more time and energy and work to go on an actual date face-to-face with a human being, put yourself out there and maybe it'll work, maybe it won't, right? So I'm not saying tech is bad, but I do think there is a realer connection and it's defined slightly differently. So I'm reading a book right now. You're going to be surprised. Ready? Prepare yourself. You're going to be super surprised about what I'm going to say. I'm reading a book by David White. (laughs) This should be a drinking game, right? Like you guys all get to take a drink every time I say David White or Brene Brown or... (laughs) Henry now. I'm reading this great book by David White. His last name is spelled W-H-Y-T-E. And this book is called, here, listen, it's a real book. It's not a Kindle book. It's paper, has paper cover. It's called The Three Marriages, Reimagining Work, Self, and Relationship. And David White is kind of known for his how he talks about frontiers. So he talks about frontiers being these places. He uses this word to describe places in our lives and in the world, in the universe, like the way we experience everything that invite us to explore and be curious and not know a lot of things and kind of discover. So in this particular book, he talks about Um, these three marriages, 
which none of them actually technically is what we te- what we typically call marriage. He does talk about relationships, but he doesn't he doesn't uh, you know boil it down to just marriage. It's friendships and different kinds of relationships uh, and commitment and par- partnerships and things like that. But he talks about work and he talks about relationship to self and he talks about relationship with others. And he calls these three things the three marriages of our lives. And it's a really interesting book. I, I would definitely recommend it. I've already recommended it and given it to several friends. Um, and I'm reading it with a friend. It's just really good to think about these things. But he talks about these frontiers. And he talks about specifically, he kind of spends some time talking about the inner frontier and the outer frontier. So the outer frontier, these are probably pretty obvious, but just to be for the sake of explaining, the outer frontier is this time and energy that we spend with others, we spend with our work, uh, we spend engaging with our work, and how we engage with all the world around us, right? Outside of us. And then this inner frontier is, you know, how we explore and express curiosity and participate in engagement with ourselves. So this is grappling with the true self versus the false self and the conscious and the subconscious and, you know, all all of our different personas, our shadow self, um, these kinds of things, right? So where I, I hear my notebook, see, I'm using paper. I'm just trying to show you that I practice what I preach sometimes as often as I can. I try. Um, but there's a place where these two frontiers, the inner and the outer frontier, overlap, I think. This is not David White. This is Heather Drew. But this, where these two overlap and intersect, these outer and inner frontiers intersect, is this connection space with God. Or there are a lot of listeners out there I know, friends of mine and other listeners who I don't know very well, um, who might say, you know, the divine or source or spirit. However you, whatever kind of vocabulary you use for this, uh, I use the vocabulary of God. So the connection with God, right? But it's this inner source and this outer source at the same time. It's an overlap. This kind of connection, this connection with God, with the divine, with something bigger than ourselves that is steady and unchanging, is contemplation. The connection between us and God is the space of contemplation. And David White and many of the contemplatives that I read and discuss on this podcast and mention a lot, they call this space of contemplation coming home. So... Last week, uh, no, not last week, several weeks ago, I did these, you know, this three-part series on home, and it really resonated with so many of you. Thank you all for your emails, by the way. Uh, I haven't gotten a chance to respond to all of you. I've gotten so many emails full of heartfelt, uh, earnest, vulnerable comments and stories about how powerful these home episodes have been to you. And I really appreciate that. I really do. Uh, I'm grateful that they're meeting you and I'm grateful that you wrote me. So thank you. And I will hopefully write everyone back as I, as I can. Um, 
But this contemplative, contemplative space is where we kind of come home. We come home to ourselves. We come home to God. We come home to others. And this kind, the kind of practices that come with this inner and outer frontier intersection, a lot of these things fall into categories that our culture spurns and labels as inefficient and or boring. Now you're getting why I titled this contemplation is boring (laughs) and I should put that in quotes, but now you get it. Now you get it. I wanted to catch your attention. Um, the, what the world says is boring. Contemplation probably falls into that category. Uh, being aware and connected to ourselves, to God and to others and to our work. Some people call that inefficient and boring. Uh, I'd love to read you a little section here of the three marriages by David White. I'm going to read, I'm reading from pages 32 and 33 uh, in the paperback. Uh, I'll just read you a little section here that spoke to me about this. In the midst of seemingly endless life, we can spend so much time attempting to put bread on the table or holding a relationship together that we often neglect the necessary internal skills which help us pursue come to know, and then sustain a marriage with the person that we find on the inside. Neglecting this internal marriage, we can easily make ourselves a hostage to the externals of work and the demands of relationships. We find ourselves unable to move in these outer marriages because we have no inner foundation from which to step out with a firm persuasion. It is as if, absent a loving relationship with this inner representation of ourself, we fling ourselves in all directions in our outer lives, looking for love in all the wrong places. The other timeless metaphor for this internal configuration has been a source or a well, a place to drink from, as if somewhere there is a constant invisible outflow a flow from which we might be refusing to drink. I'm going to skip down a little bit here. Page 33. Not only can we become afraid of these internal questions, but also we can become terrified of the spaces or silences in which these questions might arise. The act of stopping can be the act of facing something that we have kept hidden from ourselves for a very long time. End quote. So one of the, you know, what he's talking about here is these silent spaces where we are contemplative and we do pay attention to not just what's going on externally, but what's going on internally. This is why I go to spiritual direction, by the way. It's very different than therapy, very different than counseling. But in these silent spaces that David White's talking about, This is where we make intentional, difficult choices to not entertain ourselves every moment. And it's here that we find that these stories are inside of us 
that are waiting to be told. That might really intrigue you. That might really scare you. Or maybe it's a little bit of both. I don't know. But I can tell you, this is my experience with this. In these silent spaces, I find we find these stories inside of us that are waiting to be told. These stories can be very hard to hear. And there's probably about 80 disclaimers that I could give here, and I probably will have to eventually. And a couple people who I tend to consult with about this podcast and like the the sustainability of the of the content. Uh, I'm wondering what they're thinking about right now. So if you're listening to this and you have, you know, addendums to this, please send me an email and I'll try to amend them next week or something like that. But these stories can be very hard to hear. And if you have trauma in your life, please, please proceed with utmost caution and not alone. That's my disclaimer there. But just because we silence the stories that live inside of us, it doesn't mean that they aren't there or that they're inactive in our lives. So I'm thinking of myself, um, you know, there are lots of stories that live inside of me that uh, I ignore or I, I banish. You know, we've talked about this with the shadow self some. But a lot of these stories need attention. I would not recommend that we give them all of our attention all at once. And I would also not recommend doing this alone. This is why we live in community with others, and this is why we need to connect with something bigger than ourselves. It's not wise to face this by ourselves, but I also think we cannot lock them outside in the cold. I think it's more work, And it's more energy to invite them in and invite them to the table. Invite them in for tea, I like to say. (laughs) But I think it's worth it. And, you know, this is something that I personally have been experiencing in spiritual direction. It's just something that I happen to be experiencing. I've definitely experienced this in counseling, sure, and in many friendships. Because I have a lot of friendships. I have friendships with a lot of uh, contemplative people and people who are living with attention on these kinds of things. So sure, I've had these experiences and I can tell you that the stories are waiting there in the silence and the quiet and they're not always easy. Um, but the world is what tells us, our culture is what tells us that they're dangerous or they're bad. I would argue that they actually might have something to tell us. And then I think this boredom that we talk about and this inefficiency that we talk about, I think it's really important. I would not go on a seven hour silent retreat a couple months ago if I didn't think that was true. That is the definition of inefficient and boring if you're defining things according to the, the culture's terms. Okay, so here is my invitation to you. And this is inspired by my experience in spiritual direction and with contemplative friends and things and teachers. Um, Part A is offer yourself some intentional, regular stillness. I've heard a lot of people tell their stories about trying to practice the contemplative, 
contemplative life, contemplative practices. So whether that's centering prayer, whether it's breath prayer, whether it's practicing solitude and silence for a certain period of time, going on a silent retreat, meditating, practicing mindfulness. I mean, if you aren't sure what I'm talking about when I'm saying contemplative, it's just think of a quiet space where you're doing something that you probably don't often do. You're paying attention to things that are completely different than what you normally pay attention to. Uh, Offer yourself some intentional, regular stillness. Part B, in that stillness, pay attention to what you notice is waiting there for you. Just pay attention to it. Don't label it. Don't judge it. Don't call it good, bad, boring, inefficient. Just notice it and uh, sit with it. Literally, just sit with it. And don't run away and breathe and try not to let the story run away with you, whatever comes up for you. But just pay attention. Notice what's there waiting for you. And then finally, part C. Maybe after practicing this for a little while, doing this intentional, regular stillness. Maybe it's literally, literally three minutes a day, five minutes a day. This will make a difference. A lot of people will start with three minutes, go up to five, go up to 10, go up to 15, and you never go past that. Great. That's wonderful. That's 15 minutes that you didn't do before. That's three minutes that you didn't do before where you're sitting still and you're intentional and you're paying attention to what's waiting for you and the stories that live inside of you. That's great. So maybe you're there, you've been practicing this for a little while, and here's what I would invite you to go a little deeper with. Maybe you ask whatever it is you find there, and you probably, some of you are about, you're not sure what I'm about to say, like you're not really sure what I mean by this, but uh, try it out here. Maybe you ask what it wants. Maybe you say, so this is something in spiritual direction, a lot of spiritual directors will do this. They'll say, pay attention to what's there for you and ask it what it wants. It often just wants to be heard. It often just wants to be held. Uh, It's a part of you that just wants to be held and heard and seen. And can you give it that? Can you give it that space, this thing that's waiting for you inside of you in the stillness? That's my invitation for you. Take it or leave it, and uh, remember that it's a practice, that that means repeat. It means we don't master it, we don't seek to arrive, we just repeat. And every day is different, every time is different, and that's exactly how it should be. My blessing to you today, my friends, is may you embrace these frontiers. May you embrace an intentional stillness. May you find enjoyment and rest and curiosity and enchantment and love even in what you find in these places of silence and intentionality. And most importantly, my friends, may you be incredibly boring and inefficient. Thanks for joining me. You are cherished human beings, all of you.
Take great care. I'll see you next week. Did you see the invitation to have nothing to prove? There at the end of striving, in the middle of something good. When you finally see that you can't pretend, the dream of God is the dream of man. Whoa. Well, meet me at the red. Rafting